0: Hello and welcome to the Hope City Church podcast. We're always so encouraged to know that God is working through this ministry to touch lives. So if you have a story to share of how God's working in your life, please send a message to lifechange at hopecityonline.net. Now, let's prepare our hearts for a powerful message out of God's Word. In a series that um, I'm really excited about. It's a series that we're calling Selfie Mode. And what we're doing throughout the course of this series is learning how to let go of who it is that we pretend to be in order to embrace who it is that God has called us to be. And that applies to everybody in the room because, on some level, either at your job, among your family, at church, there's always instances in our lives where we pretend to be somebody that we're not, where we fake it until we make it. There's these people that we want to be, that we desire to be somewhere down the road. But then what we do, is often we try to fill in the gap with who we pretend to be until we get to that place or that point in our life and all too often for you and for me what we make the mistake of doing is spending so much time creating a facade that that other people will appreciate and approve of that we miss out on who it is that God wants us to be because until we're honest about who we are until we're honest about ourselves until we're honest about who it is that God created us to be flaws and all then we'll never embrace the reality of his calling in our life as long as we're pretending we'll never see his movement and work in our life and so we're learning how to let go of who it is that we pretend to be to embrace who it is that god is calling us to be and we're doing that through the lens of a guy in the very first book of the bible a guy named jacob and all of his family members that he interacts with and so if you've got your bibles i'd love for you to go ahead and turn to the book of genesis and we're going to be looking at another instance this morning in the life of jacob genesis chapter 25 genesis chapter 25 we're going to be picking it up in verse 24. If you don't have a Bible, the verses are going to be on the screens for you. However, and I say this every week, and I know you get super tired of hearing it, particularly those of you that are here all the time. And if you've already got a Bible, you're really tired of hearing this. But it's a big, big deal for us. We say that intimacy with God is a value for us. It's a huge, huge part of who we are. So we don't want you coming in and hearing us interpret the Word of God for you. We want you having a copy of the Word of God to study it for yourself. You were never created in called to have a relationship with God through Pastor Robbie. Let me just go ahead and tell you right now, if your relationship with God is built on the overflow of what God's doing in my life, you will always miss out on God's best for your life. So please stop by our Resource Center, pick up a Bible, they're free of charge, we'd love to give you one. We want everybody having a copy of God's Word in their hand so they can study, so they can highlight, so they can circle, so they can do all that stuff. You can also follow along on your smartphone or your tablet through Version or our Hope City Church app that can be found in both app stores. But for the sake of today's service, the verses are going to be on this. Screen. Genesis chapter 25, we're going to kind of highlight a little bit of what we talked about last week and then we'll walk into kind of a new conversation. Hey, can somebody in the back do me a favor? I don't care who this is. Can somebody give me some water? I drank that entire bottle of water before I came up here and now it's just like gone. So, Genesis chapter 25, picking it up in verse 24, the scripture says this When the time came for her to give birth, this is the mother of Esau and Jacob. When the time came for her to give birth, There were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau, which literally translates red in that original language. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. You'll remember we talked about this last week, a super gross birthing scene where one baby comes out, and the other baby's arm is sticking out in the process, and you can just get a mental image of what that looks like and then go throw up your breakfast if you need to. But he was grasping at his heel, so he was named Jacob, which literally means heel grabber it also means deceiver Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to these two kids verse 27 the boys grew up it's important to note we're going to come back to that in just a few minutes the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter a man of the open country he was a man's man he could skin a buck and run a trot line that whole deal While Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. That's a fancy way of saying that Jacob was a mama's boy. Dude, you are awesome. Do you know the Bible says in the book of Revelation that there are going to be special treasures in heaven for you for getting me this water this morning? Rob, I love you so much. Give it up for Rob. He's a great dude. All right, here we go. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac... Who had a taste for wild game loved Esau. So if you got to get like a visual image in your head, think of Duck Dynasty, the Duck Dynasty family for just a minute. And you got like the patriarch Phil, that's Isaac. And then you got uh, Willie who's making all the money and doing that whole deal. That's like his favorite son. That's the son who's getting it all done. And, and then you've got um, the other brother who doesn't have a beard, the other brother that nobody ever talks about, the other brother who didn't even make it on the show the first few seasons. That's Jacob, right? He's not a, he's not part of that man family. It says Isaac who had a taste for a wild game loved Esau but Rebekah loved Jacob. Of course because when you're a mama's boy your mama loves you right? Verse 29 Once when Jacob was cooking some stew. Now we're about to read a really really strange and interesting passage of scripture but hang with me here Once when Jacob was cooking some stew Esau came in from the open country famished. Another thing that's important. If you're taking notes you want to circle that. Famished He said to Jacob quick let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why it was also called Edom. Verse 31 Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. If you'll remember, Remember what we talked about last week was the fact that Jacob was a deceiver. Jacob was a trickster. Jacob was always trying to make a name for himself. Jacob was always trying to get ahead. He had this me first mentality and so he was always trying to advance his cause, always trying to advance his kingdom in the story. And so he's looking at Esau. He's saying, Esau, man, Esau's hungry. Esau's desperate. Esau's famished. Now's an opportunity for me to take something from Esau. Now you would think it would be a really, really stupid transaction, but you've got to remember that Esau doesn't really necessarily buy into to who he is nearly as much as what he does he finds approval from his father not by who he is not because he was first born but because he goes out and hunts he goes out and kills things he goes out and does things and so this idea was something that probably appealed to uh, to Esau and the reason is because he probably didn't take his birthright very seriously at, these, at least at this moment in his life Jacob replied first sell me your birthright look I'm about to die, Esau said. You ever been so hungry that that's how you feel? I'm about to die. What good is this stupid birthright to me? Stupid's not in there. That's kind of an added Robbie translation. But Jacob said, swear to me first. Now, for those of you who weren't here last week or need to catch up, um, basically when the firstborn is born into a family, they are by right given a birthright. And that birthright, because they're the firstborn, means that they get double the inheritance of their father. And Isaac was a very wealthy man. And so this was a big deal for him to give up double of the inheritance So that's why Jacob said, swear to me. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised or didn't care about or really was indifferent to his birthright. Now upon reading this story, it seems like a fabricated story. It seems like a made-up made-up story because it doesn't sound legitimate. This sounds like the worst negotiation in human history. You're trading double your inheritance from your rich father for a bowl of beans, some lentil soup. It wasn't even like good soup. It wasn't even like Outback clam chowder or some Campbell's thick and chunky. This was like this was just bean soup, and it was made by your brother. And it's like, like, why in the world would you ever make this deal? And, and so, when we read this at the first kind of glance at it, it's like this doesn't make any sense at all. Let me give you a great example. Anybody drive a motorcycle in here? Anybody have have a motorcycle? and Keep keep no no, no keep keep them up. You can be proud of that. Some of you put your hands up like real quick, like you don't want the moms in here to judge you. Um, Keep keep your hands up. All right. Um, what kind of motorcycle you got, Chris? A Honda something. You're not the guy I'm looking for. Gene, Gene, what kind of motorcycle you got? Ooh, nice. What, anybody else got a motorcycle in here? Anybody? Back there in the back, what you got? A Harley. There we go. Is it a nice Harley? Yeah. <laughs> You're trying to be humble, sitting on the back row. It's pretty nice. What that means is my, my ride is nicer than any of the rest of y'all in here, right? So so so, so here's the deal. Uh, I'll, I'll... <laughs> He's like, don't you put words in my mouth. No, no, no. Here, here's the deal. I, uh, I've got here a Hope City Church ink pen, and uh, these are super nice. Uh, they have our custom logo on it in die-cast white ink. I don't know what die-cast means, but it sounded really good. Um, it's three-quarters full. It's only been used a couple of times, and I would love to trade you this Hope City pin for your Harley Davidson motorcycle. Does that work? Is that cool? Can we do that? <laughs> Anything for me, right? You're acting like Esau on the back row. Now, that's how stupid it sounds. Nobody would ever do that, and when you read this story, that's exactly what we're talking about. We're talking about a really, really stupid deal, and there's no other way that you can negotiate it. Now, I've heard Bible scholars try to explain this away, but there's no good way to explain this away. You've got somebody making an extremely stupid decision, and there's zero explanation for it in the text, other than he was just indifferent to his birthright. But even if you're indifferent to your birthright, is it worth giving up double the inheritance of your rich father for a bowl of beans? We read this and we would say, I would never do that. That's nothing like me. But before we say that, here's what I want us to do. I want us to take a look at a couple similarities in the direction of our life and in the direction of the life of Esau because I think one of the things that we'll begin to realize as we begin to look at the similarities between us and Esau is as crazy as this sounds on the front end, it's the kind of thing that you and I do all. The time. The scripture says that Esau and Jacob Both grew old They they, they both grew up and they both became adults But the problem is when you read these Subsequent chapters in in Genesis You see that they never really matured They were always acting like five year olds One was always trying to one up the other One was always trying to impress a parent more than the other One was always trying to get ahead They acted like five year olds over and over and over again And some of you have people like that in your life That relationally they act like five year olds Some of you got friends on Facebook right now That whenever things don't go there way they act like a five-year-old they get on social media and they whine about it and you're like how old are these people right and they've grown up but they haven't matured in their life and I think all of us know those kinds of people that act like five-year-olds so it wasn't just Jacob it was also his brother Esau and I think I figured out why Esau made this mistake and it has to do not with his age but with his maturity level the scripture says that he was a skilled hunter but then he went and did something stupid like giving up his birthright I mean, this guy could go out and kill an animal with his bare hands, but he would be so foolish as to give up double the inheritance of his father. Here's what that means. That means he grew in what he did, but he never grew in who he was. He grew in what he did, but he never grew in who he was. Many of us make that exact same mistake. We find our identity in what we do. The problem is God doesn't know us by what we do. He knows us by who we are. The scripture says that he knew us when we were knitted together in our mother's womb. That he knows every hair on our head. He doesn't know us by what we accomplish. He doesn't know us by how good we are at our job. He knows us by who we are. He doesn't know us by the skills that we've developed to try to pretend to everybody else that we're somebody that we're not. He knows us inside and out. He knows those intimate, deep thoughts that nobody else knows about and you wouldn't want anybody else to know about. God doesn't know you based on what you do. God knows you based on who you are. And like many of us, here's what Esau did. He forfeited everything he had because while he grew in his skill, he never grew in his character. He grew in his skill but he never grew in his character. I just got through watching an amazing documentary. A majority of the guys in the room have probably seen it. It's the uh, it's the 30 for 30 Presents, Made in America, O.J. Simpson. Anybody seen that documentary? Okay, a few of you. Okay, let me just tell you, if you haven't had the chance to watch this documentary, it's unbelievable. Now, it's probably more unbelievable to me because when that actually happened, I was nine, and so, so I don't remember very much of what actually happened, so I was hearing all this information for the very first time. Some of you that are all like 40 plus in the room, like, like you remember this like it was yesterday. You remember all the details. You remember turning on the TV and seeing the white Bronco and thinking, what in the heck is going on? But see, I didn't know all the details to this story. And so I'm watching it, like, riveted um, for the very first time watching this documentary. And here's one of the things I came to realize. O.J. was a national treasure. See, my generation only knows O.J. as a... Uh, murderer right um but 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 for before 1994 OJ was a national treasure everybody loved OJ everybody wanted to be like OJ everybody was proud of OJ everybody wanted to have OJ at their house everybody wanted to have OJ at their events and here's why because he worked really hard at his skill in football and he worked really hard at impressing people and having great PR with people he worked really really hard at what he did But it became evident as I watched the documentary that he never spent much time working on who he was. And because he didn't work on who he was, eventually his character busted through the facade of who he pretended to be. And when that character busts through, all of a sudden people begin to realize that you're not everything you said that you were. Esau forfeited everything he had because he focused on growing the wrong things. Now are we starting to relate to Esau a little bit more? Because many of us spend literally all of our free time working on skills to get better at what we do to impress those around us that we don't even like. And we completely neglect the character of who we are and who it is that God created us to be. In other words, Esau got really good at killing his dinner. But he never got good at controlling his appetite. And because he never got good at controlling his appetite, eventually he caved. And many of us have had experiences in our life where we cave. And we make a stupid decision. But it's because we got really good at the things that ultimately don't matter. The second similarity I want you to notice is... It says that he came in and he made this decision when he was famished and wanted some food. And he says he wanted it quickly. All too often in your life and in my life, we make decisions about relationships or about our future or about our job or about our finances. And we make those decisions when we're Famished, And I'm not just talking about physically famished. I'm talking about we make decisions when we're emotionally famished. We make decisions when we're financially famished. We make decisions when we're spiritually famished. And when we do, it causes us to do things that we wouldn't normally do. Let me give you a great example of this. My wife is the perfect example of exactly what this is talking about. My wife, when she gets hungry, she gets hangry. I I won't even notice. Now, I know this is hard to believe when you look at this. But legitimately, if I'm busy and I've got a lot going on, I can go an entire day, even halfway through the next day, and not even recognize the fact that I haven't eaten. My wife, when she hasn't eaten, after like two hours, it is on. You better stay away from her. It is like that time of the month, except times 10. She gets super, super hangry. And she's cool with this. This is a reality of our life. Like, it's it's the kind of deal where if she doesn't eat breakfast on Sunday morning, when I jump in the car with her on Sunday afternoon after church, we have just encountered the presence of Jesus. And it does not. Matter. She says, where do you want to go to lunch? And I'm like, I don't know wherever you want to go. And she's like, I wouldn't have asked you if I knew where I wanted to go to lunch. You stupid man. Tell me where we're going to eat. Right. And I'm like, who is this demon possessed woman that has taken control of my wife? Right. Because we say and we do things and we act on things when we're famished, when we're hungry that aren't normal to us. And that's exactly what happened here. He was starving. Remember, he said, I feel like I'm going to die. What good do, does it do to have a birthright? And like Snicker says, when we're hungry, we're not us. And we see Esau making a decision based on his current circumstances rather than his true identity. I'm convinced that one of the ways we can combat this in our life. A really, really intentional way that we can combat this in our life is to constantly be feeding ourselves on what tells us who we really are rather than feeding ourselves on our circumstances, rather than feeding ourselves on current reality. How much time do you lay up awake at night thinking about your current circumstances? And how much time do you lay awake at night studying the Word of God, which tells you who you are and who you are created to be? See the difference? All too often, we're spiritually famished. And because we're spiritually famished, we latch on and eat things that are given to us in this world that were never meant to fill our souls. And then when it comes time to make decisions, we make quick and rash decisions that aren't anything like the decisions we should have been making, but we do it. Why? Because we're starving for something that we don't have. Finally, and this is probably the most important Um, similarity between us and Esau I want you to notice that as stupid as this exchange looked it looks we do this every day if you're taking notes I want you to write this down this is very very important we often give up what we want most for what we want now we often give up what we want most for what we want now you know why this is such a big deal Because every single person in the room just had something pop into their mind that they can equate to this reality in their life. What in your life right now are you enjoying in the moment, but you know it's going to cost you ultimately what it is that you want most? We give in to the immediate at the expense of God's best. We say things like, I really do want to stick around for my kids, but she's looking great right now, and I think I want to go hang out and party with her for a while. We say things like, I want to be financially sound and stable so that I can be a generous person, but I got to have this new car because the neighbor got a new car and I want to be like the neighbor. We sacrifice what we want most for what we want now. And I'm watching this happen in real time as a pastor. Not only to people outside the four walls of the church, but inside the four walls of the church. I'm seeing us sacrifice our legacy and our influence and our birthright. Who it is that God has called us to be. We're literally sacrificing our very identity in the world to chase after what we believe will satisfy us right now. And some of you are sitting here going, Robbie, you don't know my situation. You don't know how jacked up my life is. I don't have this birthright. Things aren't so well put together. I don't have this this legacy to leave. My, My situation and circumstances are a mess. You need to hear me say this. That if you are a follower of Jesus you shouldn't be asking the question what legacy, what influence, what birthright because the scriptures say that you as a child of God are an heir and that heir is is someone who is going to receive an inheritance to the entire kingdom of heaven you are called to be something special unique and purposeful in this world not because of your situation not because of your background not because of how great you are not because of what you can do but because of whose you are and the power he's placed in you to be an influencer where you go and in every place you enter Not because of your situation, but because of who's controlling your situation. Everybody who's a follower of Jesus because of the shed blood of Jesus and his work on the cross is an heir to the inheritance of the kingdom of heaven. And I got good news for you. I hear pastors um, preach this wrong all the time. And I hear believers say this all the time. Do you know that the devil can't take that away from you? The devil can't steal that from you. I hear people say, all oh, they give the devil way too much credit. The enemy's robbing me of this. The enemy's robbing me of that. The enemy's taking this away in my life. Don't give the enemy that much credit. That's saying that the enemy has the power to take out of you what God placed in you. And nobody can take out of you what God placed in you. The devil can't take your birthright. But, and watch this, this is super important. He does have the ability to deceive you into trading it. Just like Esau. He has the capacity and the ability to deceive you into giving up. What God has placed in you. And I'm watching this happen on a daily basis. And it's not hard to watch. All you got to have is a social media account. You get on Facebook for five minutes and you see people who claim to be followers of Jesus. People who just shared the Jesus meme two days ago. Are now losing their ever-loving mind. Over circumstances and situations in their life. You know the scripture tells us, that promises us that in Christ we are going to be given peace. That when we experience a relationship with God where we lay all of our prayers and supplications on him. In return he'll grant us a peace which passes all understanding. That means peace in the middle of storms. That means peace in the middle of difficult times. That means peace in the middle of situations that we don't understand. And do you know what we do? We trade peace for a bowl of worry every single day we're called to be people filled with peace in the midst of uncertainty and the moment the bottom starts to drop out we act just like the people who don't have a relationship with God we worry Jesus says don't worry about tomorrow your heavenly father knows what you need he'll take care of you and you know what we do the polar opposite of that We freak out about tomorrow if we don't already have tomorrow handled ourselves because we don't trust our Heavenly Father to take care of us. We trust us to take care of us more than our Heavenly Father. Do you know God wants to give you joy? He promises in His Word He wants to give you joy everlasting, as St. Peter puts it. But we've traded joy for a bowl of grumbling and complaining and whining. when We're supposed to be people that have unimaginable joy in our lives we whine and complain about every situation and circumstance that comes up and we allow our joy to be traded and taken away and then we go the devil's robbing our joy no 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 no, no. you're giving it to him because you're trading your joy for a bowl of beans god's given you a testimony god's given you a story an ability to carry his banner to people who desperately need it. And I don't know if anybody else can relate to this, but maybe, maybe just a few of the guys in the room can relate to this. I struggle with this probably more than anybody else in the room. I often trade my testimony for my temper. I mean, you, you rub me the wrong way it's on, like Donkey Kong on. I mean, I'm not big, but I can yell. I can get red in the face. I can lose my mind. I remember I was pulling out of my neighborhood one day, and when you're pulling out of my neighborhood, it goes up this really curvy hill, um, Mike, you know what I'm talking about, up to Ottawa Road, and as you're going up this curvy hill, there's no houses, and so people make the assumption because there are no houses that you can go as fast as you want, because there's no kids, there's no houses around the problem is, is that people run on this road, people ride bikes on this road, kids ride bikes on this road, people push strollers on this road and so as somebody who lives in my neighborhood I get super ticked off when people like go unbelievably fast on this curvy road, particularly if they were to go around one of these curves and lose control of their car and maybe hit one of my kids, I kind of lose my ever-loving mind, right? So I'm waiting to pull out of my neighborhood to turn on to this curvy road and uh, and somebody flies by me doing like 45 miles an hour in my neighborhood and they're only gaining speed and getting faster. And I remember absolutely losing it. It was as if somebody had just slapped one of my children without my permission. You got my permission, you can slap my kids all you want. But it was like somebody slapped one of my kids without my permission. And so I whip it out, and I start chasing this joker, which I don't know what in the world I was thinking. What am I going to do when I catch them, right? Like, look at me. And so I, uh, I'm chasing this joker, and they're flying around these curves, and I'm flying around these curves. And I start laying down the horn, and I get right up on their butt. And, and, and they get to the end of the neighborhood, and they jump out, and I jump out. And I said, dude, what is your problem? He said, what is your problem? And I said, you were flying through this neighborhood like a... And I won't tell you what I called him because we're in church. But it was, it was, it's not a cuss word, but it's probably not appropriate for church. So needless to say, I said, you were flying through this neighborhood like a something or another. And so as I yelled that, he yelled back at me, dude, I thought you were supposed to be a pastor. And this dude recognized me from the neighborhood and knew what I did for a living. And in that moment, I wanted to curl into the fetal position. Right? Because I had just made Jesus look bad over my own temper. And it was so stupid, right? Like, like like, what did it afford me? Nothing but I sacrificed my testimony for my temper. I traded it in for a bowl of beans. These are stupid trades. We read Esau's trade, and we go, "What was he thinking? That was a stupid trade. That doesn't make any sense at all. But we make those same kind of trades every single day. And in Esau's case, he made a terrible trade. And it says later that he cried out for his birthright. He desperately wanted it back. He realized the mistake that he made. And he never got it back. Jacob kept the birthright and the blessing. Could you imagine that? Could you imagine going back and rereading the Old Testament? And it's saying the God of Abraham and Isaac and Esau, because that was the original plan, right? That was the original plan. But, but Jacob weaseled his way in there, and because of Esau's stupidity, it's now the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob who carried the blessing. And there's a lot more context to that. Don't you think about that for a second. He gave up something so significant for something so stupid. And you and I do the same thing all the time. And he could not get back what he lost. And many of us feel the same way. But before I let you out of here this morning, feeling depressed and defeated about all these trades that you make and going, well, dang, I'm a stupid idiot. I make these stupid trades. You can go get in your car and you just got bowls of beans everywhere. And you're like, gosh, man, I'm such a loser. Before you walk out feeling terrible about yourself, hang on just a second. Because yes, Esau was not the smartest son in this particular moment but there's a story of another son that made this exact same mistake it's in the new testament it's found in Luke chapter 15 and it's a very popular reading it's a very popular story that Jesus told Luke chapter 15 and I'll just read to you the kind of the beginning verses of this and then we'll kind of flesh out the rest of the story but Luke chapter 15 verse 11 says this Jesus continued there was a man who had two sons The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. This is the beginning of the story of the prodigal son who says, I don't want to wait for my inheritance. I don't want to wait for what's coming. I don't want to wait for what I need most. Instead, I want to have what I want now. And he sacrifices what he wants most for what he wants now in the same way that Esau did. And he goes off, and he takes what he has, and he's eating some nice bowls of beans, right? Like he's living it up, and things are good, and he's killing it, and he's got all these friends and all these people hanging around him. And he's like, what an idiot. My other brother stuck around back at the house. He could be living free and alive and joyful and doing what he wants to do right here, living in the moment right now, just like me, until his bowl of beans ran out. Which, for the record, that bowl always runs out. Whenever you trade what you want most for what you want now, what you want now always runs out. And then you're left regretting that decision. Some of you young ladies that are in the room right now, you are desperately looking for approval from a man, and so you are looking for love from a man, but you're trading love for sex because you think that it will please whoever it is that you're with, and eventually that train runs out. And you got to know that God wants something so much more and so much better for you. Some of you are in a place where you are wrecking your financial future because of the things that you've got to have right now to keep up with the Joneses. And you got to know God wants something great for you, but you are wrecking the future that he has planned for you based on what you want right now. Because you're consumed with yourself and what you desire. That's exactly what happened with his son. Eventually his beans ran out. So he comes home and he's walking up the road and he's thinking, man, maybe I can just, maybe I can just I can get on as one of the servants at my father's house. Maybe, maybe I can just kind of go back there and at least eat good like the servants eat. I know I'll, I'll never be able to have that birthright again. I'll never be able to have that sonship again like I had. But maybe I can go back as a servant. So he's walking down the road and his father sees him way off in the distance. And unlike with Esau where he never got back. What it is that he traded? We see a father in the New Testament that is running down this dusty road that wraps up his son in his arms with tears streaming down his face because he loves his son. He missed his son. He looks at his son and he says, "We we thought you were dead, but you're alive. You were lost, and now you're found. We got to throw a party. Hey guys, here's what I want you to do. I want you to kill Bessie. I want you to kill that grass-fed calf. I I want you to do whatever you got to do to make it the best you could ever make it, son. You can have whatever cut of meat you want tonight because we. We are celebrating tonight, and I hate these stupid clothes that you're wearing. These are dirty, dusty, nasty, dingy clothes. No son of mine is going to be wearing clothes like this. And so he put a nice, fresh robe on him, and he grabs a ring and places it on his finger, which literally in that culture meant a symbol of authority. He regains authority back in that house. He restores back to him everything that he had lost, unlike Esau. And as I'm reading the two stories parallel And I'm reading about this lost son in the New Testament and this stupid son in the Old Testament. I'm trying to figure out what the difference is. What's the difference? What's the difference? What's the difference? And I realize there's a huge difference. And that difference is a third son. A third son. And that son's name was Jesus. And when Jesus came, he came to restore everything that the enemy had deceived you out of he came to to give you back what it was that the enemy took from you he came to help you get back to the place that you had always wanted to be and some of you right now you're at a position and a point in your life where you have traded so much you're thinking there's no way i'll ever get it back you've traded so much that you're thinking there's no way i'll ever have a future you've traded so much that you're thinking there's no way that god will ever be able to redeem this but i want to read to you one last passage of scripture it's romans chapter 8 verse 29 the scripture says this for those god foreknew he also predestined those that god would turn to the life-saving life-changing power of his son he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn having the birthright among many brothers and sisters if you are a follower of Jesus because Jesus literally had the birthright of his father you've been granted access to that same birthright and now the mistakes that you've made have been covered under the shed blood of Jesus and you can walk in freedom and in newness of life knowing that God has set you free, redeemed you from your past, from your mistakes, and is longing to set you on a path towards redemption through his son. That's God's desire for you, and that's God's desire for me. And some of you walked in here today, and as we begin to teach, and as we begin to have this conversation, guilt and shame begin to plague you because you know all the bowls that you've bought into and all the goodness that you've traded through your life. And you're thinking, man, there's no hope for me. There's no future for me. I've made too many mistakes. And God says, yeah, you have. And yeah, it's cost you. And yeah, it's set you back. And yes, you've missed out on some things that I had planned for you. But I came to give you a hope and a future. I came to give you joy. I came to give you a testimony, a story. I came to give you peace, which passes all understanding. And what it will require of you is to start walking in the fullness of your relationship with God, knowing that he wants what's best for you, even though it may mean that you have to sacrifice what you want right now. The question I have that I want to leave every one of you with this morning is this. Are you willing to sacrifice what you want now in order to receive what God has for you in the future? Are you willing to walk away from some of the decisions that you've made right now in order to experience God's best for you? Because you don't have to do it alone. You don't have to walk on your own. You can walk in relationship with God. You can walk out of this place having started a real relationship with God through the shed blood of Jesus. And you can begin to walk in newness of life but it will require something of you and that's surrendering your desires knowing that his desires are best if you're here this morning and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus if you've never made the decision To begin a relationship with God. I want you to know you can do that before you leave this place today. We want to come alongside you. We want to partner with you. We want to help you in that process. We'd love to put somebody with you to help you in that journey. We promise we won't embarrass you or call attention to you in any way. We won't show up at your house on Tuesday night uninvited. We just want to be able to come alongside of you. And help you in that relationship. So that you can begin to let go of the things that you've pretended to be. In order to pick up who it is that God has called you to be. And so when you came in, you were handed a program. At the bottom of that program is a connection card. What we'd love for you to do is fill out that connection card, and on the back of it, the very top box says, I'm starting a relationship with God through the person of Jesus today. And all you have to do before you walk out of this place is tell God that. Say, God, I want desperately a relationship with you. I believe in what your son Jesus did for me. And I want to walk in newness of life. I want to stop trading what I want most for what I want now. And then we'll have somebody get in contact with you and walk alongside you. All you have to do is take that connection card and drop it in one of those black boxes on the way out. And if you want to talk to somebody today about that decision, you can literally take that connection card to our resource center and they'll connect you with one of our pastors before you leave this property today so that somebody can come alongside of you and help you in your journey. But for the rest of us who already walk in the inheritance of being a follower of Jesus, what are you trading? What are you giving up that you've already been granted through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross to have what you want right now? Because that's what has to stop in order to experience God's best for your life. Let me pray for you. God, thank you for the power of your word for the character of your heart thank you that you want to teach us to draw us closer to yourself to stop giving up what you so desperately want us to have but God thank you that when we have you come behind us and give us grace to walk differently in the future may that be the reality of our hearts as we leave this place today